Welcome to Kuden. This podcast gives you the chance to listen in as a student and master of ninjutsu discuss the principles of warriorship, traditional training, and modern day techniques that are essential to real world self defense. Your hosts are Shidoshi Jeffrey Miller, a 13th degree black belt of ninjutsu, and his student of 10 years, Eric White, a second degree black belt. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years, including military service, federal police service, private investigation, and has taken him around the world to train with leading martial arts masters. Kuden allows you to listen in on some of the most highly sought after martial arts knowledge, that which isn't written in books or scrolls, but only transmitted verbally between a master and student. This is Kuden. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Kuden.、Uh, this is、uh, a special episode. We're up to our 10th episode now, and I think you can kind of give us a little insight into, into numbers and the significance, you know, from a,、uh, a Japanese culture perspective and,、uh, on, on the number 10、oh. and, and the ninja perspective on the number 10. I was just going to start calling numbers and yell bingo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, again, last,、uh, last episode.、Um, You made reference to it being episode number nine. I said, wow, what a ninja number kind of thing, right? right. Power number.、Um, certain numbers are very important,、uh, not just in ninjutsu, but in certain cultures, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, you find in the Judeo Christian culture, right? Th- one, three, seven, these kind of things keep、yeah. showing up, right? So whether somebody's really into numerology or not, you know, if you read your Bible or whatever, I mean, you run into these things all the time.、Um, and it's not that that's. Where I am exclusively, but you know, people go, Oh, you meditate, so you must be a Buddhist. No, I've got like five different versions of the Bible that I've read cover to cover several times, and I've got the Koran, and I've got、mm. you know, all this stuff. I mean, it's just a matter of knowing my world, and whether I buy into a certain thing or not, it would be pretty freaking hypocritical of me to argue with somebody how my thing is better than theirs when I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> I have no personal experience,、um, I have no academic knowledge about it or whatever. I'm just coming at it because. Mommy and daddy taught me that was true. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, you know, like blindly believing your martial arts instructor.、Right? All of my students are taught, you were told this a long time ago, right? If you don't think that something that I'm covering or you don't understand it, if you don't think that it would work or whatever, you need to speak up, right? Find out what context I'm coming from or whatever, right? You need to hold me accountable because this is about you saving your life with the stuff I'm teaching you. Okay, so anyway, so back to numbers, right?、Um, <clears throat> uh, nine, if you just look at, at basic numbers, and we were taught this when we were in what, kindergarten, first grade, right? Nine is the highest number that you can go before you hit zero again, because at ten, the one is in a new column,、mm. right? So you're really only going zero to nine, right? right? And then you add this new delimiter for, for size, right? So. In the, in the ninja's context, in Mikyo, nine is this power number because it represents、um, this full area of study, complete study, right? The first three levels of study are physical, the second three、uh, areas of study are psychological, the third three are spiritual. This is the way the Kuji works, right? The nine syllables.、Um, it's just the way it works. Now, there is a tenth level, okay? And the tenth level is this return to zero, and it represents freedom and potential because you've gone through the gamut of training, and now the world is your classroom. The world is your study area. In Mikyo, right, you've got these nine levels of training, and each level has specific lessons, 
Okay, there are sutras or teachings or whatever that take you up through these different nine levels, right? But in Shingon Mikyo, the tenth level, in, there there are no Mikyo texts at level ten. Hmm. Level ten are all of the books or lessons or whatever that's out there in the world, right? Math and other people's religions or spiritual traditions or philosophies or whatever. Or whatever, and it's not that you're learning these things to learn them. It's seeing what's out there, being exposed to these things, hmm. because the understanding is that no one thing holds all of the truth. The truth is too big for any one packaged product, right? Um, and the more ways that you know to do any given thing, the more options that you have, the greater your chances of success in any situation. Right. right? So why not? What's the harm? And hopefully it's not because you're you're a fear-based person and you're afraid that if you learn something else or you're going to be exposed to something else, your faith will crumble or whatever it is. Um, no, this is not about taking sides. Mm-hmm. This is about knowledge and understanding. Okay. So anyway, nine, Then when I said this power number, right, we, we hit this thing where, you know, we've covered a lot of material. We didn't do anything wasn't random but at the same time we didn't outline nine episodes mm-hmm. we really started with number one just to see what kind of feedback we get yeah and the feedback has been phenomenal i mean i've got people jumping onto programs now that you know have been following us on kuden for well over a year right yeah I mean, so and the original plan was to put things out monthly but schedules in life just kind of get in the way and the reality is that um this is free or it's you know in in the membership area where you know people are paying a couple of bucks a month to yeah. get access to these things, right? So it's, you know, uh, we've got these other projects, and I've got to feed the family. So, unfortunately, Kuden gets slipped in as Kuden mm-hmm. gets slipped in. But anyway, we're at number 10 now, right? So um, the the number 10, because we're at this return to zero thing, signifies potential. There's, there's this, where are we going to go from here? Right? Yeah. And we'll see, right? Um, I don't see a stopping, Right, but uh, what we discussed earlier was it'd be really great to to have a, uh, an episode where instead of having predefined topics, yeah, um, we kind of talked about potential, right? For those people who have been thinking about training or whatever, maybe discussing some of the programs so that they can get more information or, or whatever about it. And this isn't about making these things salesy. This is just about you know why the programs are the way they are and what might fit a certain person's situation over another. And, you know, you you have made mention for nine episodes, nine episodes about how, you know, you're here to facilitate and help and you're, you know, one of my students. And mm-hmm. you've made mention that if people have any questions, right, shoot an email, I'll answer it, that kind of thing. Um, but Eric hasn't. I mean, you've gotten lots of benefit because we're here in the studio and you're getting yeah. lessons that you've had before. So there's a reminder. You're getting brand new things you've never heard me teach on before. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got questions. Yeah. So, absolutely. Damn it. I've got I've got some, and and, and we're going to do that. We're going to go a little free form on there you go. this tenth episode, and I, I want to talk about a few things. Uh, at the time we we're recording this, spring camp just happened a little bit ago. I got to be there for the the Sunday. Uh, of that event, and so we'll talk a little bit about that. Also, um, 
just talk about awareness as we we kind of say return to zero. What kind of thought pops in my head that first key lesson when I started training and and just the idea of awareness. Start sure. at being more aware. So we'll talk a little bit about aware that too. You just you're, <laughs> yeah, but Surrounding, that's the idea. It, it right? just it grows from there, right? Sure. And then. Uh, I also want to go into a little bit of a rarefied air with Shidoshi Miller's as well and, and pick his brain and, and, and ask him for some commentary uh, on some stuff. So we'll just we'll just leave that hanging for you there as we go the through. That's right. She's mine. That's right. Uh-oh, when I agree to this. <laughs> There's nothing in here. <laughs> Look at the cobwebs. What the hell? So... We're going to have a lot lot of fun on this episode of Kuna, and there's going to be a lot of cool stuff. So hang with us. Really, uh, we'll I'm, the you... really I'm the ventriloquist doll, and you've been covering all this stuff. That... It's just my mouth. You know, you did say that right between these two episodes. I think we were talking right after 9 and just before we got together for this one that uh, uh, it's a good thing this isn't on webcam. It'd be a completely different show. <laughs> yeah. They, they'd see your arm up the back of my shirt moving my mouth, and <laughs> I'm really this alternate character, and you're able to laugh and make me talk at the same time. I'm just you're, that good. You're better than Jeff Dunham. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I should take it on the road. <laughs> I don't know. I get kind of heavy going through that uh, airport. Oh, wow. <laughs> Check baggage. It costs a lot nowadays. That's so. right. Been- so we're going to get you updated with uh, with the news, and then we'll roll into this 10th episode of Kuden. So, you want to train with Shidoshi Miller, but you're far from Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller is making it easy for you to get the powerful lessons of ninja training, self-defense, and personal development wherever you are. Join Shidoshi Miller's fast-growing group of online students. Break free of the limited free articles that can only scratch the surface of true ninja training using the power of the Internet. Be a part of live online training seminars and take advantage of Shidoshi Miller's video series like the 12 DVD series, Advanced Sanshin and Kyanapo Home Study Course. Learn more about online training, accessing video training series, and even how you can bring Shidoshi Miller to you by logging on to warrior-concepts-online.com. Welcome back to Kuden. Thank you for joining us. Very special episode today. It's our 10th episode, so we're kind of going free form with some, some Q&A throughout this, uh, this episode, and we'll also talk a little bit uh, about um, some recent crime story, too. We'll work that in, talk about some self-defense and the different phases of that. But right now, I want to talk about, we're just coming, at the time of recording this, we're just coming off a few weeks ago. Spring camp happened, and it was really great. I, I was happy I was able to, to join in for the final day of camp. Uh, if, if you've been to camp, you know that it runs like a, a Friday afternoon all the way through the weekend into Sunday evening. Uh, and, and if you haven't been, definitely uh, check into it and see if you can make that a possibility for yourself as we talk about this being a potential episode. Make that part of your potential if, if you can get to a camp. You, you're really going to enjoy it. It's a really great experience. And you can find out more about the camps and when they're coming up at warrior-concepts-online.com. And, and it's camp- not the same material that everybody else keeps rehashing. Yeah. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> it is, but it isn't. And we run into that so many times. And it's interesting because we looked at the theme at this camp as being Kyanapo and fundamentals. Well, and I borrowed, this is one of the times that I actually took the International Bujinkan theme and introduced it as the theme for camp. Because normally what I do is I change the theme because we really are working on the same principles and concepts, but I need for people to, to be able to use these things in practical, real-world ways, okay? This isn't about getting belts, even though you might get belts. This is not about, you know, collecting all the kata, because we're not kata collectors, right? It's not that you're not learning some, 
but the hell can you do with it right yeah so um but th- yeah this is one of those times where i decided to uh kind of look into it and i'm going to japan in september so fall camp will be actually kionapo part two mm. so <clears throat> what i introduced uh at spring camp was based on the notes that i have and uh you know knowing how hatsumi sensei teaches now he's, he's nebulous and you never know where things are going to go but um i introduced things in a way that kind of started from the kionapo forms but because the kanji were written in a different way, we looked at how your own training should be evolving, right? I mean, if it looks the same as it did on day one, there's something wrong. This is not, you know, goju karate. This is not one of these things where if you're doing anything other than the official dogma, it's wrong. Um, so, you know, I kind of gave him that that foundational thing, right? here. Let's Let's start looking at things in this direction based on your technique, your understanding, your knowledge, all that kind of stuff evolving, Mm. right? Um, Now, of course, I'll be going to Japan in September, so I'll get some more lessons and see some of the things and directions that Hatsumi Sensei is taking things, talk to the different uh, Shihan about, uh, you know, these lessons and these concepts and things like that, right? And then come back and fall camp, It'll be like a Japan recap seminar where I'll be covering things that I picked up in Japan. And those are always great. Uh, I mean, times times that there hasn't been a camp. I know you've done seminars where it's been a post-Japan trip, and those are great because it's just like this information download of everything you've got to process since from getting back. It's as back. much for me as it is for everybody else yeah. because, well, you've been to Japan with me. Right. And, oh, my God, what, three-quarters of the way through week one or maybe that far um, all of a sudden, I'll hit Zen mode where it becomes very, very difficult to take notes, and it becomes experiential. Mm. Where I mean, that's really how Hatsumi Sensei wants us to train. But at the same time, I still take a lot of notes. Um, people think that I'm, you know, writing down how to do this technique or that technique, and they'll even make snide comments or whatever because they don't take notes at all because it's all pure experience, right? Um, and I'm not offended by it. Right? As a matter of fact, I think it's pretty funny because they make these comments. Then they have no idea what I'm writing, right? What I'm writing generally is pay attention to your footwork this way because you need to be able to shift in infinite directions. It's not about this technique. Remember this. So they're little reminders to myself to work on. Or if Hatsumi Sensei did this little thing, oh, we can build a drill out of it this way. We're going to do it this way, this way, this way, and this way, right? So it's kind of outlining what I'm going to do next when I get back, not just for the students but for me. Right. It's not. I mean, if if I experience a kata that I've never learned before, then okay, kata name X Y Z. Here's how to do it. I can reconcile that with my my lineage and kata list when I get back. Okay, I have that one. Now I can begin to explore this kata. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, yeah, it's um, it's very very different. So, uh, but people tend to get fixated too much. So. Um, and everybody walks away. I mean, I've got guys that have been coming to camp for 15 years or more because there's some kind of value to it. I mean, they come in from Canada or they come in from upstate New York or they, mm-hmm. you know, come in from California or whatever. So, um, anyway, 
So, yeah. And, 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 you know, at the end of each class, you always pose that question, what did you learn? And, and, and people kind of dump out the thing that stuck out most in their mind about what they learned in that class, that session at camp as a whole. Uh, you know, and I kind of walked away saying something to the effect of, well, I really felt I got the principles you were trying to show about we were working on omategyaku and urigyaku principles and, and, and not being fixated on techniques and that they were all part of achieving the same greater principle. What do you think it is about the training of fundamentals? And maybe this sounds like an easily answered or stupid question, but what is it about working on the fundamentals that maybe help some people grow much further than working on some kind of uh, a lineage or, or this, that, or the other thing. I mean, we do a lot of that too, but for me, I know coming off this last camp, there was something about getting back to the, the fundamental of a principle that really helped me walk away from camp going, wow, I, I really felt I, I gained a lot this time. Where other times I might have walked away frustrated or, ah, I know i got to work on these things. I learned that I've got to work on some of these things or, um, you know, I have a lot of other questions about where I'm going with stuff. But What is it about fundamentals that <clears throat> uh, makes so many people progress farther? Um, I'm going to do what I normally do <laughs> and differentiate between uh, mastery of skill as it was taught. So what I mean by that is somebody became a master of doing the technique they learned as a white belt, so they're really, really, really good at doing the technique that way. Mm. And somebody who has skill proficiency, and they're able to produce results with that skill. Can you do it really well in the dojo? Right. Or are you able to recognize that in a situation, and can you catch it from many different directions? And apply it in ways that you didn't learn at first because you understand proper distancing, proper alignment for cover, that kind of thing. What makes the technique happen? Hmm. Okay? Because in a full-speed fight, one, you're going to have a very difficult time catching that hand out of the air when he's moving it really fast to grab you or retract it. Two, he's not going to let you do it. You have to earn it. Okay? The only person in the world that's going to let you do any of these techniques to them is your training partner. Right. <laughs> Nobody is going to let them do, let you do this. So you have to have everything right, right? You have to you have to be able to to distract at the right time or deliver a strike or get him to believe that you're going in one direction when really you're going in another or you have to apply the technique when his body motion would do it for you. Right? So uh I'm not talking about those folks who are just really really good at doing their white belt technique to impress you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what is it about fundamentals? They are the smallest key pieces that you can catch a hold of and apply with gross motor skills when the shit's hit in the fan. Mm. And it's your ability to be able to catch them that makes all the difference. Okay. Because in a traumatic situation, you're going to be reduced to gross motor skills. Right. Okay. So I don't care how much finesse you have in the dojo. I don't care. Okay. Unless you can literally detach emotionally, you don't have any fears, you don't have any concerns about winning or losing or whatever, that really upper level kind of thing where you've got so much skill that you're like, how's me something? We can keep the smile on your face because you know you're going to kill him. Hmm. 
but the rest of the day will be boring if I do it too quickly. So, you know, you can play around with them or whatever, <laughs> right? right? Um, or you're just not in a hurry to do it because you don't have this imperative need to do your cool technique. You're willing to wait until he gives you something. You are la- you're willing to let him lead the dance until he makes that fatal flaw and you catch what he gives you. Hmm. You're not trying to force what you want. Okay. So, uh, the fundamentals are just these basic pieces. They're like musical notes, right? They're like uh, being able to put together a note combination kind of thing, right? The kata is like the sheet music, right? Here's mm-hmm. this whole thing. But the kata are an example of potential, where a fight might go. But look at all the kata that we have across all the lineages that start out exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, one goes, okay, but we're going to go over here and finish it. Another one goes over here. Another one goes to this point, and it has some kind of counter that he does, and then you counter the counter and, and come back, right? But they all lead off the same way, mm-hmm. right? So those are the fundamentals, okay? Those are the pieces that matter the most, okay? Um, it's the people that focus on these things from the right perspective and understand that the the, the fundamentals are the pieces that all of these other things are made up from, okay? Um, the kata are nothing but fundamentals strung together. And then they're given a name because it's outlining a certain strategy, mm-hmm. right? So, but then people fixate on the name and the kata, mm. not the not the fundamental pieces, the distancing, the angling, the cover, right? They want the same applause that Hatsumi Sensei gets because they tossed somebody across the room and they did it very gracefully. Of course you did. I see how you're having your uke punch at you. Mm. A freaking fart could knock the guy over. <laughs> right? So what the hell? Right. right. Um, and it's keeping, you know, keep, but at the same time, fundamental training is nothing without putting it in context. Right. We've got these nine lineages, right? So how does gikan ryu apply in omote gyaku? How does gyoko ryu apply in omote gyaku? How does koto ryu? Ultimately, an outside wrist reversal is an outside wrist reversal. Actually, it's an outside hand reversal. Mm. Um, Kotegaish is a wrist reversal, right? Or a forearm mm. reversal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, how and why? Why is it done that way? Who cares? This is Gikan style. This is Dakan Taijutsu style. This is. No, no. It does matter because they designed this their technology to solve specific problems. Mm they were warriors in a feudal society if that wasn't their approach they were going to die right nothing was done for artistic expression right because i like japanese culture because okay it had a function what was it and this goes back to something i talked about in episode 9 and probably a couple of the other episodes about the strategic thinking and <clears throat> One of the benefits of training is to learn how to think. Okay, not just to be, not to be uh, intellectual or not to be, uh, you know, loaded with academic knowledge, mm-hmm. but to truly be an educated person. Right, the base root of the word educate, right, in Greek, means the ability to use what you know to produce results. So you don't have to know a lot 
to be an educated person, mm-hmm. you have to be able to process the situation you're in and apply what you know in the right context so you get positive benefits. Mm. Okay? So mastery to me is not about knowing a boatload of kata and all of these details that people bandy around on the forums. Mm-hmm. You know, now who was the sixth grandmaster of such and such? A, who gives a shit? <laughs> right? The only person that gives a shit is the person who wants to throw that out there to impress people that they know all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay? Well, is it true that he did such and such at a certain thing? And a ba- I don't know. I wasn't there. I have the written documentation that you have as well, but how is that going to serve me? Mm-hmm. Okay? You know, Takamatsu say was in a three-hour battle with this guy and stuff, you know, and they walked away as friends. Fantastic. I remember that story, and I know that story well. Because I learned something from it. Mm. That within the first five minutes of that battle, they both tried to get each other with something, and they paid for it. Mm-hmm. And they realized how good the other person was, and they spent the other two hours and 50 minutes trying to position to get the other person and not give up something in the process. And at the end of that three hours, they decided, you know what, let's just call this, we'll be friends, let's go have a beer, sake, whatever, right, <laughs> and just let it go. Mm. Okay? That was the lesson I learned, right? That's why I remember that story. Not because, oh, my God, Takamatsu said it was in a three-hour battle. <laughs> Great. Hmm. How do you feel after you tell that story? <laughs> feel all warm and fuzzy? And I know I'm being cocky and condescending, but um, every once in a while, you know, if you're really going to, if you're really going to touch your potential, if you're really going to move on, somebody needs to reach out and slap your ego around a little bit. Hmm. Okay? And that's what good friends are for. Right? That's what mentors are for. Right? If everybody in your world is stroking your ego and telling you how good you are, there's a problem. There's a problem. Because if you really were that godlike, how the hell would they know? Because they're obviously not, right? You're above them, right? Mm. Or they're all godlike and you're hanging out in the Mutual Admiration Society, right? Meets on Saturdays at 5 (laughs) p.m. Local time. Um, There's a problem, right? And I just, anyway. So why are the basics so important? They're important because they're what make everything up. Like musical notes. Musical mm-hmm. notes can be combined in an infinite way to produce how many different types of songs or music genres. We're only operating with the same eight notes or whatever they are, right? Mm-hmm. The same bars. We have different, uh, what do you call that? The different, um, uh, I'm not musically oriented, but you know, you have these different keys that they could be in, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, different keys, you have different, you have these, but there's a finite number of, and a small number, right? There's do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Mm-hmm. And you have clefs, and you have sharps, and you have uh, different uh, timings, and mm-hmm. you have different keys. And there might be one or two other things in there that I don't know about. And you have how many different types of music? Right. Culturally, they're different, all that kind of stuff, and yet they're the same basic pieces. Mm-hmm. That's why the basics are important. Because when you know them, you can literally create an infinite number of variations. Hmm. But it's not just about knowing them. It's being able to do them in the moment, under pressure. And they're they're simple. They're, they're quick catches. They're quick 
things. They're the important key pieces. Mm. You know, if I'm really good at timing, distancing, and angling, and I'm always profiling my body to you, no matter where you are, and I've got cover in the way, and I'm, I'm, you know, putting things in in the way of your weapons or whatever. Your job at getting me is freaking, it's it's hellacious on your on your part, right? Mm-hmm. But if I don't get that because I'm focused on this kata or that kata or whatever, and I don't understand the important pieces in there, and I haven't drilled those pieces to be really really good at them, it doesn't matter how many you know. He can get around your defenses and clock you, right? He can stab you. He can kick you. He can, you know. I told you about that the one trip I went to Japan, and um, I. For days, I kept working with these black belts, right? That they, they would go back and, and come on. We're working on certain kata or whatever, right? But they go back into into Ichimonji, Sagan or whatever, and they're leaving their groins wide open. Their mm-hmm. angle is off, and their range is off. And finally, I'm in this one class. I mean, Ichimonji Sensei's class. I'm working on this kata. I think it was a Kukishinden kata. It really didn't matter, but working on this thing. And I stopped this guy and I go, "Guy, I, you know, I'm not trying to be the teacher here or whatever." But whenever you go back like that, I just want to kick you in the fucking nuts. <laughs> Excuse my language, but I just, I, yeah. I just want to nail you right in the nads. You know what his answer was? Well, I don't have to worry about that. That's not in this kata. Oh. Dude, <laughs> you uh, always have to be worried about kicking, kicking, getting kicked in the nuts, yeah. punched in the throat, whatever. Hmm. He felt that he didn't have to worry about that because hmm. it wasn't in the kata. It's not what we're working on. So he only pays attention to a kick to the groin if the kata says that's coming? So he's only good if he knows what's going to happen beforehand? Hell, if I had that experience, or if I had that ability, I wouldn't be taking, I wouldn't be studying this stuff. (laughs) I'm going to be attacked on the street corner of 4th and Elm at 4 o'clock tomorrow? Guess where I'm not going to be at 4 o'clock tomorrow? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so that's the difference between a kata mindset, somebody who's fixated on these official models, as their guide and 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 uh, idea of what proficiency is, and somebody who's focused on what we call the basics, but I'm not talking about omotegyaku or whatever. I'm talking about right the stuff that we kind of worked on. I mean, we did omotegyaku, but how many times, how many ways did we do it where you literally just walked in a certain direction when he did something and the technique just happened? Yeah. But we started off with the basic kion model because it made people comfortable, and we had people at camp that had never done those things. So we had to do, I had to do something to get them caught up. Mm -hmm. But it was about evolving technique, right? So we got to a point where, but you said we were doing omotegyaku and now I'm doing a rear hip throw. Yeah, because we're doing omotegyaku principle, Mm. not this form that you were taught that's called omotegyaku. Because omotegyaku does not mean outside or frontal Wrist reversal, hand reversal. Gyakute is hand reversal, right? But omotegyaku is just outside or frontal or obvious reversal. What's being reversed? Well, you know, it's the hand, obviously, because that's the kata I was taught. What does that technique do to him? It locks his arm and his ability, affects his spine, and locks his feet in place and takes his balance toward his heels. So he can't step. If I control his spine, or seize his spine, and immobilize his feet, I can throw him. <laughs> so it's an obvious thing because we don't have toes and we can't bend backwards. We can't catch our balance. It's mm-hmm. easier to do it that way, right? Mm-hmm. So any technique that does that, onikodaki, osotonage, 
um, omotegyaku, mushadori. They all work off of omotegyaku principle. Mm-hmm. I'm not touching his hand, but I'm still doing the same thing, taking him in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And then we did the same thing with uragyaku and all this kind of stuff, right? So it's it's an evolving thing. Why are they important? Because they're the key pieces, right? Again, uh, what we talk about in was it episode nine? We talked about the whole meditation thing, mm-hmm. and what's what's meditation? Right. Until you know what it is that you're working on and what you should be developing, it's like a steel ball bearing in a pinball machine, hmm. bouncing around a whole lot. And well, you got a whole lot of points, and you did a whole lot, but yeah, it's still going to drop away. And hope you have another ball bearing to shoot up at there and repeat the process yeah. all over again, right? But it's such a random pinging around. There's no control in a ping pinball machine. What, what's your what's your control? You got two buttons that move, two flippers that only move in certain directions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> okay, that's your basics. Okay, good, all right. <laughs> fantastic. Anyway, again, I'm being condescending, but <laughs> it's my nature. So. <laughs> Well, we're going to take a short break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk uh, about awareness. And as as we kind of start and talk about where that beginning mindset, or, or and and talk about potential on this tenth episode of Kuden. So we're going to explore that next. Are you protecting your company's number one asset? Smart companies know they cannot afford to have one of their employees become a victim of violence on or off the job site. WCI, Warrior Concepts International, can provide highly sought-after self-defense training to your employees. Companies whose employees have less stress and feel more confident may experience less absenteeism and have a lower rate of turnover. Along with feeling like you're taking good care of your employees, your company may realize a very direct financial benefit from bringing in a WCI self-defense consultant. Talk with a WCI consultant today about creating a training seminar or program tailored specifically to your company's unique environment. Hospitals, schools, retail stores, no business is immune to workplace violence. This year, empower your employees with a workplace violence self-defense seminar or program from WCI. Learn more now at warrior-concepts-online.com. And we're back. It's the 10th episode of Kuden, and we're, we've kind of gone off the rails, I guess you could say. We're just, it's whatever <laughs> we come up scorpions, with today. Scorpions, <laughs> And uh, I want to talk a bit about awareness, and this kind of uh, popped into my head. Last night I was watching, and, and I, I think you've seen this movie, Taken, with Liam Neeson. Absolutely. It's a great film. Uh, I would really enjoy the ending, it. though. Would you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When the mom walked up to thank me for saving my daughter, uh-huh. I punched her right in the fucking face. Uh-huh. Excuse my language. I'd have punched her right in the face. Yeah. Why, why, why the thanks, right? I mean, it's his daughter, too. No, that wasn't why I would have punched her. Oh. She went behind his back. Oh, yeah. And allowed all this right. stuff to happen, never considering that her daughter might be in right. danger in a strange land. Yeah. Parents aren't there. you got to rely on unseen, unknown strangers in unknown situations. Right. And had it not been for his skills, yeah. she'd have been without a daughter. Yep. So she divorced him because he was this kind of a guy, and she thought he was paranoid and all this kind of stuff and he had he had if had it not been for his skills to do these things right yeah. but he warned them all ahead of time you know yeah where are you going what are you doing and then the information that they gave and i can relate to this because you know i've got an ex-wife and kids and things like that and one's pulling the same kind of crap now right 
except she's local, right? A couple of years ago, my daughter, and she she didn't tell me she was going to the prom with a boy this time around because mm. I remember how you reacted the last time, you know. And yeah, then you were thirteen. The boyfriend you had was from Maryland. I live in Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. And you were going off. To, you were telling me you were going to Gettysburg with your brother, who's a much older brother, and his wife and mm-hmm. some friends and all that stuff. So I figured you were being chaperoned, right? And then I have to catch wind that you have this boyfriend that you're really going to Gettysburg to hook up with him. Mm. I don't know his parents. They're out of state. If mm-hmm. something happens... You know, that kind of thing. And you're supposed to be being watched by your older brother and you're in a tent sucking face. Mm. I have a problem with this. So, yes, I had a problem when you were 13 and all this kind of stuff was going on. But you're going to turn that into, I just didn't want to tell you because I know how you are about boyfriends. Well, one, I'm your dad, so I am supposed to be that way about boyfriends. Mm -hmm. You're lucky I'm not cleaning my pistol when he comes to pick you up. Right. (laughs) That kind of thing, right? Um, But, uh, so I, I get this whole thing. Yeah. But... Uh, it it was this it was a situation where everything that he pointed out and you know, he's this concerned dad. Yes, he has skills and look, you know, I'm in this field. This danger exists in the world. Right. Okay. No, something may not happen. Probably nothing's going to happen because of the world we live in. But what if it does? Okay. You're my daughter. You're in this place. I want to be able to contact you. I want to know what you're doing. So if something happens, I have a place to start. Mm -hmm. Where did he have to start? Three cities over from where she was supposed to be. And mom knew the whole time. Mm -hmm. I'd have punched her right in the face. Yeah. Absolutely. And sit in jail with a big old friggin' smile on my face. Yeah. Well, and and what you're talking about gets exactly to the line that jumped out at me uh, as I was watching this last night on TV where you know he's he had this job as a spy and that was the whole catalyst for his uh divorce and his marriage crumbling because he was never there and sure. uh so that that's what led to it and and his daughter makes a remark on their way to the airport she's going to leave and she says you know mom said that your your job made you paranoid and he says my job made me aware absolutely and 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 that really stuck out as I was watching this last night and and where I'm getting this from is awareness is a place to start you know it's it's Maybe on the outside, people are going to say, you're crazy to be, why, why do you want to go beat people up or learn how to beat people up? Uh, why, why do you want to, why do you want to learn those things? I mean, who needs to know how to roll uphill and throw metal objects at each? I mean, why, why? You know, you get that from this outside mindset. Are you just paranoid? Are you crazy? And, yeah. and, you know, his, his, his thing is, well, it made me aware. So it's funny, cause Takamatsu, where's that line? Takamatsu say addressed that, a um, long time ago. You know, he, he said, who in their right mind would choose to be a warrior? Yeah, the frickin' crack of dawn, moving around in wet grass, training in chafing armor, frickin' freezing, while every all these other yahoos are snuggled and spooning with their their you know wives or girlfriends or lovers or whatever. They're all comfy in their bed, and here you are doing this thing. Why? Because somebody has to, and I feel driven in that direction this time around in my life. But it it did make me aware. That's me since one year, and I, I actually wrote an article because he he wanted me to write this this experience down. Uh, we were in in the Hombu Dojo, and he was making a point of, um, you know, there's certain part, there's certain aspects of this training you're just not going to get without experience. If you don't know what it's really like inside of a real combat situation, what the hell good is your training? 
You mm. don't know what you're training for. So it's quite likely that you're not going to be training properly. Okay? And there's only two ways to get that experience. Direct experience or training with somebody directly that has it. Okay, so you don't need to go out and go bar hopping and stuff because I give you drills and all that kind of stuff to simulate what I know you're going to be up against mm-hmm. in a situation. How do I know that? Been there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so his point was that people, regardless of the rank, needs to need to get with people, and he, he went around, you know, and, and isolated people in the dojo um, that had this real world experience, and he had us tell a story, and. Uh, uh, the point was to convey these, to convey this idea that regardless of how many techniques you know, regardless of your belt color, regardless of any of these things, you must talk to these people that have real experience, okay? Because they may not know all that you know, technique-wise, katha-wise, whatever, but they can tell you how you better be training hmm. if you're going to truly be prepared, okay? Um, so yeah, that 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 line really sticks out with me because um, what I've always told my students over and over again, and if you've been following the Kudan, uh, you know, uh, broadcast and things like that, you've probably heard me say it again and again. If you've been to, to camps or if you're one of my active students, I know Eric, I mean, he, he takes this stuff with a grain of salt, but um, if he were easily bored, um, he could want to throw up because here I am saying it again, right? That, um, you know, you just... You, you have to get this. You have to get this experience. You have to be aware that these things are going on. Right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I remember that. I remember that line. And uh, I, I've had girlfriends and uh, ex-wives and things like that that have, have done the same thing. They've you know made fun because I I sit looking at a certain in a certain direction in a restaurant or you know I follow it a certain distance away from the car in front of me or whatever mm-hmm. um, it's just good practice because if something occurs do I think something will occur right now no there's nothing telling me that but if I'm not prepared for it now and something suddenly happens and I'm boxed in now I can't do anything about it right so my job as a police officer as an undercover operative as an investigator, all those kind of things, they made me aware. Then they that in and of itself is what tempers our training. Yes, we have all of this stuff that everybody else is teaching, and somehow it still comes out looking different. Okay, but it looks very similar to the other guys in the Bujinkan or the other guys teaching Ninjutsu or whatever that have real world experience. Right? Somehow we look very similar, and we speak in a very similar way. Right? Whether we associate with each other or not, there's just this, mm-hmm. there's this understanding, right? So, uh, it's 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 my experience and my background that that tempers our training. That all of this training has had to run through my filter of real world experience. Okay, I didn't just jump on the ninja bandwagon because of all the cool weapons and cool techniques. I mean, they are cool. And there's a lot of stuff you can learn from, right? But I was a police officer at the time. I was I was a military police officer, but I was an undercover operative, and I had literally already gone through a bunch of different martial arts. From I've told you this before, from junior high school, I mean, mm-hmm. we went through these different things, these yeah. different styles, different teachers, and all that, looking for something that matched reality, right? And um, when I found this, 
I actually found it through an article that was an excerpt from a book that uh, Stephen Hayes had written. I got two paragraphs into it and knew that not only did I have to train this art, but I had to train under this guy. Now, when I went to train, it wasn't a blind, you know, disciple kind of mind either. It was, okay, I'm going to ask certain questions and we're going to, Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch the training, and I'm going to do these things. Um, and a lot of people don't even know that at a certain point in my training, I tried to prove this stuff wrong. A year or two that I went through going to different – and this was after you know training this art for a long time. Um, I decided that if I was really going to know how this stuff worked, I was going to try to make it fail. Mm. Okay? I'm not running around trying to prove it right. I was trying to make it fail. And what I found was that lots of techniques fail under given conditions. Often what failed was my understanding of the technique. Hmm. So I came out of it understanding more about how and why and when techniques get used and not just, you know, this is my favorite or I always have to start this way or Hatsumi Sensei says or whatever. Hatsumi Sensei knows this. I've stated it public and I've also said it in his presence. I've said it in every one of my teacher's presence. If I find something tomorrow that works better than this, I'm going to be doing that because my goal is skill proficiency and the ability to produce effective, efficient results in a dangerous situation. It's not to be somebody's disciple. It's not to be a clone of somebody else. Mm. Okay. I've been Now, I've been making that statement for 30 years. And I'm still doing this, and I don't think I'm going to find anything tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But the potential's still there. The possibility's still there. Mm-hmm. But I'm not exploring and you know jumping onto everybody's bandwagon or whatever. I do I do research other martial arts, and I, I pay attention to what's going on. I watch a lot of these MMA bouts or whatever mm-hmm. because I'm looking at it from a strategic mindset. Right? Who's doing what, and you know, just to and to understand what different types of fighters are out there, and how somebody might come at me or whatever, and then how my training can be matched to specific fighters. Mm-hmm. I'm not going into it just knowing my stuff and being ignorant of him. I'm not just going into it knowing techniques on a kata level, going up against somebody who's free to do whatever he wants. Okay, It goes back to Sun Tzu's thing, right? If you need no, know neither yourself nor your opponent, you're never going to win. You're going to fail at every at everything. Okay? This mm-hmm. is just the fights. This is building a business, relationships, everything, right? If you only know yourself or the attacker, but not the other one, for every win, you're going to score a loss. It's only Mm -hmm. when you know yourself and the opponent that you can't be beaten. Mm. So, um, yeah, it really does begin with awareness. And there's a huge difference between paranoia and preparedness. Paranoia is believing that there's danger when when none exists. And this is where this is what the Saki, the fifth Don test, really teaches mm-hmm. you how to do mentally. Okay, and mm-hmm. a lot of people luck out with it and stuff like that, but you can really train to do this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we do a lot of drills with that. You remember? I mean, I'll swing a sword at you, I'll hit yeah. you with a bow, and all kinds of stuff, right? Um, but it's the it, when you train in these drills and you and you practice it, it's not just this thing that you do to get a belt mm-hmm. or to become a shidoshi or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what you're really learning is the difference between the mental process that produces a, a, a psychological state of paranoia and a physiological response that you can recognize that is your body's innate recognition of danger, whether your eyes can see it or not. 
one of those things comes from the neocortex, the higher order, and is affected by the mammalian brain. And the other one, the actual sensitivity to danger, comes from your R-complex, your reptilian center, and affected by the lower orders of the mammalian brain. Hmm. Okay, so two vastly different areas. And if you actually practice and train, it's basically a moving meditation and sensitivity training, right? Mm -hmm. You learn the difference between a paranoid response and an actual sensitivity to danger, right? So you start to develop awareness of what kind of dangers in the world, right? And, you know, this kind of leads to our eight-phase eight, uh, model for effective self-defense strategy, right? Mm -hmm. The first phase is what? General awareness. It begins with accepting that danger exists in the world and the fact that it can touch you, mm -hmm. right? And then where do you go from there? The next place you go is what are you most likely to experience? What kind of things can come at you? Learn to deal with those things first. The other things are, are off possibilities, right? So uh, these these traditional kata that we have, right, um, you know, Uke does a, a ski to your stomach, right? He comes in with this piercing thrust, mm -hmm. right? In the traditional kata, it's a shoto. How many people are going to come at you with this big old butcher knife? More likely, they're going to come at you with this, you know, sharp pen or a you know, little knife or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we start you there. Later on, we can put the shoto back in and all that, but the blade dynamics are different. So are you working the kata that's against a stab with... Uh, a pen knife with, uh, you know, a K-bar with uh, something that's butcher knife size with a shoto kind of thing that would be more like a machete. Each of those things have a different range, have a different dynamic. He can get you differently. Um, you still have to control the same point, but if it's uh, like a kata like, um, oh, um, Ken Nagare, right, or Ken Nagashi, where... We, there's a stab, we check the arm, punch the back of the hand, do omote gyaku to take this guy down, right? Um, the way you do omote gyaku better change mm. based on what he's holding in his hand because you could find yourself cutting your own throat in the process. Mm. Okay. Or if he has a backup, right? Do you practice your kata where he has a backup? I check his arm, punch his hand, go to do omote gyaku, and he takes his free left hand and goes for a knife or a backup weapon. Mm-hmm. Where if my range is not right, if I'm not controlling his shoulder, where I don't have the emulte gyaku applied correctly, right? He can stab me in the ribs in the process of me doing a wrist lock. There's mm. a hell of a trade-off. Mm. Lost my internal organs right. in exchange for the possibility of maybe breaking his wrist. Mm. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so again, people get fixated on being able to do the kata well, but they're they're sticking in a you know in a in a basic thing. And I want to get back off on kata again. But I, I think that movie's brilliant. Now, of course, there's certain things in the movie where it's it's Hollywood yeah. being Hollywood. But the basic premise of this guy with skills, and he has a family that doesn't trust his skills because, you know, he's just not rich enough for her is what it really came down to. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have enough money or whatever. He's never around. Um, lots of doctors aren't around. Yeah. Lots of psychologists aren't around. Lots of teachers aren't around. That kind of thing, right? Um, I guess it's the dynamics of the relationship. Mm. But either way, um, my wife doesn't understand a lot of how I process things. But she trusts me. And I made that promise in the very beginning. I gave her three promises. One, so she could be aware of what she was getting into. <laughs> one was uh, never a dull moment, which is easy. 
uh, honesty always. I've ended up divorced a couple of times because I'm too honest. Mm. I'd rather be in trouble because I'm honest than because I'm a liar. Right. Okay. Um, and she'd never be safer with anybody else. And whether that's true or not, she's pretty freaking safe when she's with me. Okay. So, uh, you know, we get on an airplane to go someplace and I ignore the stewardess because she's going to tell me to put oxygen on my mat, on my face. Um, above 10,000 feet, fantastic because the air's too thin. Mm-hmm. Below 10,000 feet, I'm not putting that freaking thing on my face. Okay? Oxygen is euphoric. Mm. It makes me not care that we're going to crash. It makes me want to put my head between my legs and kiss my ass goodbye. Um, I'm not doing it. it I'm not going to be able to think clearly. I'll put it on my kid who's screaming and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Or I'll take a I'll take a breath as I need it. Yeah. But I don't need this buttercup, <laughs> you know, whatever. So I ignore most of the stuff because I've flown a lot. I pull the plan for the plane. If I couldn't buy my ticket and get my bulkhead seat or be right there at the emergency exit where I want to be. So I pre-plan way back. I, I go online, I buy my ticket, and I go right to the plane and select my seat based on what's available, obviously. But if I do it early enough, I can plan on where in the plane I'm going to sit. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I pull the stuff out and I go, I look at her and I go, the emergency exit's right here. If something happens, I'm grabbing you and we're going over the seats that way to that point. If you resist or pull back, I love you, but I'm not fighting you to get you to safety. Okay. And she trusts me enough that she'll go. Mm-hmm. And she's thin enough I could olive oil her across the <laughs> <laughs> the seats and stuff. But anyway, um, it's just one of those things, you know. Right. And uh, my wife trusts me enough. And it kind of goes back to the old chivalry thing, too. Um, she likes it as well because we we'll walk into a restaurant and I'll go sit here. Because I want her close to me, but at the same time, I'm taking a certain seat. Mm-hmm. Now, it goes right back to chivalry, you know, pulling the chair out. You're going to sit here. A lot of women take that as very offensive because, oh, he's bossing me around. I don't want to sit here. I want to sit over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to sit where I'm safe. You're going to sit where you're, where you're safe, right? But all, a lot of women do like that because it's that holding the door for them again yeah. and all that. Well, it's, right. it's, it all comes from making sure you're safe mm-hmm. and being the protector not about this arrogant, you'll do what I say kind of thing. Right. Does that mean it's not used that way? No, any more than martial arts aren't used for attacking people. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I think the awareness thing is it, you got to have that first. You have to you have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to be aware of what kind of dangers could exist. Um, you have to be aware of whether or not your training and the person who is teaching you is giving what you what you need to answer the questions and solve the problems that you're going to face. If your reason for training with somebody or learning a certain style or system is ego driven and it's just it's a politically based thing. I like him. I trust him. There's lots of people that I trust that are bullshitters. Mm-hmm. I trust that they will be there to cover my back. But that's different than trusting them to teach me how to handle a firearm or whatever, right? I've got a friend with it. I would call him up if I needed my back covered. But he calls me up to go to the range to teach him how to hmm. hit the target in the right place, mm-hmm. okay? I would not trust him to teach me how to handle a, a firefight. Hmm. That's what he calls me for. Right. Do you get it? But mm-hmm. I would trust him to back me up because he's that kind of person and he has the ability to do that. Do you see the difference? Yeah. Okay. I'm not fragmenting my friend. 
I'm just very clear and aware about his strengths and mm-hmm. what I can trust him to do and what I can't. Mm-hmm. I've got another friend that he's a great guy and we have fun when we get together, but I can trust him to always not be where he promised to be when he's promising mm-hmm. to help mm-hmm. because he promises everybody that. He's a win personality and therefore he keeps very little of his promises and obligations because he double and triple books himself. Mm. So he tells me he's going to be someplace and I go, great, I'll see you then. And then I forget that he's going to be there because he probably won't. Mm. And if he shows up, then I'm delightfully, delightfully surprised. Right. I'd rather live my life delightly, delightly surprised than always pissed off because, damn it, he said he would and he didn't. Right. Then you're not paying attention to who you're dealing with mm-hmm. or you're always hoping that they're going to be something that they're not. Mm. Okay. It's kind of like bad guys, right? I mean, are you training for different types of situations? Right? Are you training understanding that you, you know, lots of attackers are opportunist, they attack out of anger, it's just a quick flare up, it's easily handled by basics, you go about your business. Okay? Um, and are you also training to understand what type of attackers each of your kata and skills are designed to handle. Hmm. You apply the wrong technique to the wrong person, you're either going to jail or the morgue. That's part of awareness as well. Yeah. Yeah. How's that? That's awesome. Excellent. <laughs> I feel so warm and fuzzy. I've been validated. <laughs> Next on Kuda, we're going to go into what the, what I'm thinking and hoping would be some kind of rarefied air of Shidoshi Miller. We'll see what we get. Fantastic. We're going to talk about my sex life. (laughs) (laughs) Is that rarefied air? No. Oh, okay. In your world, it is. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Next on Kuden. How would you like to learn secrets most martial arts black belts don't know about real-world self-defense? Of course you would. And Shidoshi Miller is offering them to you for free. Take advantage of this amazing opportunity by logging on to warrior-concepts-online.com right now and sign up for Shidoshi Miller's free newsletter and you'll receive the free ebook, Fight Smarter, Not Harder. You'll get critical lessons for being more safe, secure, and prepared. Tips for overcoming the victim mentality and 19 principles you must know for surviving a real-world street attack. It's free and easy to sign up, so do it right now. Warrior-concepts-online.com. Fight smarter, not harder. What you need to know about surviving a real-world street attack. And we're back with our final segment of this 10th episode of Kuden, just kind of going free form and... Did you just say Kuden? I said Kuden. 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 Oops. That's like Putin. <laughs> Putin. <laughs> what the heck? I told you. Butcher the Shouldn't, English language. Wouldn't. I can't trust you with Japanese. Oh, I know. Uh, I'm saying it too fast. Kuden. That's Kuden. Void transmission. Yeah. Kuden. <laughs> wow. I'm changing your martial name. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what was it before? I don't know. <laughs> It was a mystery I, to me, too. I obviously didn't give you one. <laughs> no, I, I, I normally so. give it to somebody after they've been around um, past, like, Nidon or whatever, because uh-huh. uh, way too many people get their show done. That's what they focused on. That's actually the beginning of training, and then they jump ship. So don't bother making them feel much more involved in the actual lineage with a martial name, hmm. um, which is the way it's supposed to be traditionally. Yeah. Uh, you know, the teacher has a name that was that actually has a part of his teacher's name, and that's what holds mm. it together. Kind of like my uh, Buddhist teacher, right, uh, Reverend Jikai, right? Mm-hmm. His teacher's name was um, Gion, Reverend Gion Haba. Mm. 
mm-hmm. Tokyo, and then his. So this G part of the name is what uh, keeps things going. Okay. Like well, that's me sensei, you know, Byakuro, uh, uh, this white dragon, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and then uh, Stephen Hayes was named King Ryu, Gold Dragon, that kind of thing. Uh, I had a name a while back, Kudu, right? This dragon of potential. There's a potential again, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then it, it actually changed at a certain point. I made this huge transition in my life and my, my my training and everything. And one of my uh, one of the shihan in Japan uh, actually changed it to the tiger side mm. because Hatsumi Sensei actually has a tiger name and he has a dragon name. Ah, right. Hatsumi or Sensei, same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Tiger name, dragon name, that kind of thing. So um, there's this connection. So uh, I do the same thing with my students and make sure that that dragon part is in there. That something with you. Right, uh, is in the uh, is in the name, so that there's this hmm. attachment to connection and, and lineage and stuff. So, yeah, I have to contemplate and come up with one that's appropriate. And the way the names are assigned, um, sometimes it's uh, something that there's a trait that's a strength for you, and it's you know like mine, could you right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this dragon of potential, right? Uh, my teacher kept pointing out my potential and this tenacity to get the training and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it turned into this kudu, right? This dragon mm. of potential, right? Uh, but it could be this strength or sometimes a name is given could be temporary uh, because it's something that you need to explore and work on in a positive way or mm. it's it's just you're too strong in an area. So mm. you need to explore that to see how it might be too much and you need to bring that back down thing. So uh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. So already we're in rarefied air because that's something I don't think a lot of people are exposed to. Like I said, it takes a while and a certain amount of training and commitment to, to where that's even and it hit takes, upon. And it takes the student earning a certain bond with me that mm-hmm. um, uh, where where that, that that connection is felt on both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have that. Uh, yeah. I'm just I don't, I don't know how we missed it along the way normally happens but uh, maybe i just wasn't moved for it <laughs> but um uh, yeah there, there, there has to be this connection for me um i'm i'm very professional when it comes to the teacher student mm-hmm. relationship you know that yeah <clears throat> um because i believe that innately i i think a couple episodes ago i talked about how human beings were innately lazy right yeah human beings are also prone to abusing friend relationships when it comes to uh there being something like this teacher-student kind of thing going on as well, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so uh, I'm very careful to make sure that there's this teacher-student understanding. Yeah, I have my role, you have your role, that kind of thing, and I will be friendly with you. It's kind of like my kids, right? Mm-hmm. I'm friends with my older kids that are out and have families of their own and all that kind of stuff, but the ones that are still at home, I'm friendly mm-hmm. with. Okay? I, I'll be their friend when we can associate on even ground. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I'm not out to be my the, my friend or a friend to my children. Um, and a lot of people may not like that idea, but I'm okay with that because I'm a parent and a guide and a mentor first mm-hmm. uh, because I take that responsibility to of guiding them very seriously. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm friendly with my children to the point where they would probably say that, you know, daddy's my friend, that kind of thing. Right. Like a nine-year-old, that daddy's my best friend kind of thing. Right. Uh, and that's great. That, that's great. But, you know, your best friend doesn't necessarily ground you to your room for a week if you do something <laughs> wrong or whatever. Right? But anyway, um, 
Yeah, so that whole name-giving thing, uh, when when there's that that coup then, mm. that Voin transmission, mm-hmm. that, that connection that's beyond words kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Then I'll give you part of my name. It won't be Matt for you, will it? It won't be what? Matt. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not going to combine. I'm not going to combine English and Japanese, but uh, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I'll I'll watch out. It'll be Tatami (laughs) Ryu. There you go, (laughs) Matt Dragon. (laughs) No, I don't know. It might might be you know Dragon Ass. I mean. Well, my my thought with where to go with this kind of rare, rarefied air thing, uh, you're kind of already going in that direction, talking about the the relationship, um, you know, teacher to student. I wanted to ask you about and and just kind of have you comment, uh, you know, a lot of all of this kuden and and when we're uh, in the dojo and talking uh, about everything, it's it's a, it's a teacher to student transmission. But I wanna I wanna, and that happens a lot, you know, like on the Japan trips, yeah, or. Uh, you know, we're sitting around at, at camp or we're having lunch or we're on a break or whatever and somebody strikes up a conversation. <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't get involved in frivolous conversations. And even if it appears frivolous, I try to steer it around to where it becomes a training you need you to. Right? Mm-hmm. Somebody's complaining about the political error or whatever. And I look, here's historically what was supposed to happen. Here's what's going on. Either use it, fit in with it, mm-hmm. or leave. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not talking about complying. I'm talking about understanding what's going on so that you can traverse the dangerous waters, so to speak. Right. Right. So we'll we'll talk about these different things. Um, you went to, again. You went to Japan. We'd sit around and discuss uh, because you were helping to teach at that point as well. Mm-hmm. And you know how do you how do you stomach these students that just come in and just will not put? And we talked about these different things and yeah. things that have worked for me. And you know I went through those same issues and and whatever. So. You know, little guidance things. So the whole trip is really a training trip. We we didn't go to a temple or a shrine yeah. or anywhere where we weren't discussing some part of training or, right. you know, the Japanese people and how the culture is different than ours or something like that where it was an educational experience for you. Um, we didn't go bar hopping and we didn't, you know, yeah. that kind of thing, right? We didn't, we, the, the train doors may have opened to Tokyo Disney, but that wasn't on the agenda, mm-hmm. right? What was on the agenda was, oh, by the way, there's Tokyo Disney. Yeah. If you don't want to go to the temple this tomorrow, take this train line and cost you 56 bucks just like at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to get in. Right. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, it's just um, uh, that's that's my job. It's my responsibility. Right. right. So I think what, what, I, what I'd like to ask or ask you to comment on would be from the perspective of yourself, as a student, because I mean, you do talk about it a, long, a, a lot in classes that you know you, you're still training. You have a teacher. You're still learning. What can you comment or talk about about where you're at as a student in your own personal training? I suck. <laughs> no, not that talent myself. Um, in the front training room, we have the two training rooms in mm-hmm. the dojo, right? In the front training room, centered over the mirror, right behind the teacher. There's a master's creed that I posted years ago. Do you remember what it says? Because we have a student creed, 
right? That begins with I believe in. And mm-hmm. it's because most people come in, they need everything's kind of faith based at that point, right? Yeah. They're just trusting that this stuff is right and the teacher knows what he's talking about and I I believe that I can do this. Mm-hmm. And then we move on to the vows of intentions, right? right? Okay, we hit that point where, okay, you know what? I, I buy this stuff. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So I intend to do these things that yeah. are positive or productive. And then we hit a point where, you know what, this is no longer what I do. This is who I am. And we have this warrior code of action, right? right. I train too. I will avoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's a master's creed that's up. Mm. And it says, the day I cease to be a student is the day I cease to be fit to be a teacher. Mm. Okay. The horizon of mastery looks as far away to me as yours does to you. Mm. Okay. I will die trying to learn this stuff. And there's always something else. Where am I? Um, I'm in a phase in my training where, on one hand, I'm really focusing on being able to communicate this knowledge to as many different types of people and as many different groups as possible. I'm I'm not confining myself to this brand-named thing called ninjutsu mm. or bujinkan or whatever, and only people who want this brand-named thing. So I'm not a Mercedes dealer only selling Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I have so much information, and I understand the needs of different groups and people, that what I'm really trying to to master now is being able to put together the right package or the right program or whatever based on pieces of this overall knowledge that Mm -hmm. fits their unique needs. So I do workplace violence consulting, but what I teach to nurses in hospitals is different than what I teach in-home caregivers. It's different than what I teach to factory workers, which do you get that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So on one hand, I'm, studying and practicing and using these principles to help, Hmm. okay, to help produce benefits in other people's lives and not to confine myself to a static, crystallized thing that is unchanging because that is not the nature of Nijutsu, okay? On the other hand, um, that's also twofold because I'm... I'm recovering from that accident that occurred back in 2007. Right? Mm-hmm. And I, 2011 is, is my year. I mean, the school's back. Um, I'm, you know, I, I feel better than ever. But at the same time, I still have some residual nerve damage that's affecting, you know, back and legs and mm. headaches and things like that. So um, on one side, I'm back to training with things that I trained with a long time ago because I have to get those faculties back to where they were or as close as possible. Mm. But I'm three years older and I'm 48 now, Mm. right? So the body has a lot of mileage on it, right? So I also have to figure out how to train to be as effective as a 20-year-old but without expending that much energy, Mm. okay? So part of me is in recovery mode and training with things that I had a really firm handle on, okay? My rolling is finally getting back to uh, where it was before 
the accident, okay? Because of back issues and hips and joints and all that mm-hmm. stuff, right? Um, and there was a lot of weight gain because of uh, a lot of the, the meds that they had me on and things like that. So mm. I did drop a lot of those things. I mean, I'm still losing. You didn't make any mention to it, so I'm offended. But anyway, um, uh, so I'm working on that. But at the same time, you know, there's that evolving of things as well. And I'm just continuing on to the next lessons. I mean, you know, uh, I'm always trying to make sense of what Hatsumi Sensei is covering and all that, not in the context of classical training or whatever, but how does that apply to me today? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the state of the world? Okay? A ninja keeps track of the state of the world. And I don't mean getting involved in politics and all that, but understanding how things can be affected, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, keeping track of what's going on in my community. I have a very, very solid relationship with the chief of police in my town, mm-hmm. um, partly because he has a black belt in his heart, too. Mm. But anyway, when he moved into town, we became fast friends. So, um, you know, I stay in contact with him so I can keep track of what's going on in town, where the new, you know, where the new problems are, where mm-hmm. the problem areas are. That all gets translated into being able to help my students, into being able to uh, offer other programs to, you know, schools and community groups and things like that. Um, that all helps the dojo because, I mean, we get some students out of it, but that's not my primary reason. My, my, my thing is to, is to be like the Jonin, right? To, to be that face that people see, but they don't know that he's a ninja. Mm-hmm. So I'm a very influential force in the community because I'm not seen as this martial arts guy. Mm. People know that that's what I do, but I'm always keeping them off balance because you're speaking on child development. You're speaking on workplace violence. You're, I'm confused. You know, and I'm dressed in a suit and I look like, I look very different from the typical martial artist who their life is wrapped around martial arts mm-hmm. and they're a t-shirt and cutoffs kind of person and you know every everything is paranoia and fights and self-defense and all that um part of my self-defense plan is being invisible to the people who might want to hurt me hmm. you know, there's a big gang gang influence in my little town now yeah gangs that used to only be in big cities now we've got crips and bloods and you know hmm. latin kings and these guys and um I saw it coming before most people did, right? Um, but I'm I'm a student first. I'm, I, I think it's been summed up by Tenzin Gyatso, 14th Dalai Lama of Tibet. You know, mm. uh, he's supposed to be a reincarnation of Chenrezig or this Kanon or Avalokitesvara, right? But whenever somebody asks him about this thing, he just smiles and says. I'm just a simple monk, mm. right? Because he practices every day and he meditates and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't walk around all pompous because he's got this title. It's very humble. Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> and, uh, you know, students want me to use the word shihan instead of shidoshi because it makes them feel good. No, it doesn't make me use it, but uh, there's lots of things that students would like for me to be. Um, and I understand that. So I act like a professional in mm-hmm. school, 
uh, not an arrogant ass, not, you know, people aren't afraid that I'm going to kick their butt at any moment or whatever, even though people make those comments all the time. Oh, don't tell that joke to Sensei. He'll, you know, things he can do to you. Oh, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know me, I, I walk around with a smile on my face or whatever, and I'm always studying, hmm. you know. But I, I run a dojo. I I have an online uh, marketing thing. I, produ- I produce books and videos and all that kind of stuff. So I have to understand marketing and I have to understand things like that, but in a way that addresses the needs of people. I'm not I'm not a salesman. You know, I look for what people need and, and what kind of problems they need to solve, and I communicate that to them. Mm-hmm. If they want what I have to offer, fantastic. But they're only going to want that if they're really looking for the kind of program that I put together, excuse me, for a specific type of person. Mm. I'm not looking to sell this to everybody. And I'm not offended if you don't want it or don't like it. Okay. And ultimately, when all this, when it all comes down to zero, if all my students went away, I would still be training. Because I'm not the kind of teacher that I've long since stopped training, and I need to be a teacher. Mm. I need to have students. I'm only a teacher if I have students, but I'm always training. So... Um, Again, I, I think it's summed up by that master's creed that I put up on the wall. The day I cease to be a student is the day I cease to be fit to be a teacher. Hmm. Okay. So, um, how how is it for you as a, a student with where you're at and your rank? You know, um, local students to your school, we're we're so lucky in the fact that you know we could go multiple times a week and have access to our teacher and learn different things and get get the 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 guidance we need you've got to go all the way to japan to to link up with your teacher for for this how does that uh, how does that i don't i don't have to go to japan i choose to go to japan hmm. and i make that happen cuz i could train with other people i could make it convenient i could, i could have the same complaints that everybody else has time money family obligations work all that kind of stuff if I don't work, I don't get paid. I'm self-employed. And yet I take two weeks, at least two weeks, once a year, if not two weeks, twice a year, mm-hmm. to go to Japan or to go to New York City to train with Kasem or to go, you know, I, I pick and choose who I'm going to train with, mm-hmm. not because they're teaching this stuff, not because I like that person, but because what they're teaching is something I feel I need to learn about. Say how I pick my training. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I get to steer. Okay, the teacher who I go to learn from, of course, is going to steer how I'm learning it and how good I am and what I need to pay attention to and all that. And all that. That's fantastic. But I need to be aware of where I am and what I need. Okay, I'm not one of those guys that practices what I'm already good at. That's not practice. Mm-hmm. That's stroking your ego. Right. Right. The stuff that you need most to practice on is the stuff that's at the bottom of your list, the stuff that you cringe at every time you think about doing it, right? So um, anyway, but um, yeah, I go to Japan. So um, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if this is in line with what you just asked, but I I put a smile on my face and I tell students that I understand when they tell me, you know, how difficult it is to get to class or, 
you know, oh my God, tuition's what? I even have other Bujinkan people go, you, you charge what? Right? Excuse me. What's the cost of a class in Japan? Right now, the dollar to, to yen rate sucks. Mm-hmm. Okay? So when you went, it was about even. Yeah, so thirty five hundred actually is a little better. Yeah, so thirty five one oh eight. Yeah, so thirty five hundred yen was still about thirty five bucks or a little bit less, thirty four fifty, whatever, right? Yeah. Now that thirty five hundred yen class is fifty bucks. Mm. Right? Forty five to fifty bucks. Right. Um so when I go to Japan, I train over a two week period I train between 37 and 50 hours, which cost me, because what I what I put in the package for people to go when they go to Japan with me, right, I include two classes a week with Hatsumi Sensei, two classes a week with one of the Shihan. If you mm-hmm. want to do extra classes, you're paying for that as right. you go along, right? So you're still getting four classes a week, which is twice as much as most people train normally back home, right? Um but I train 37 to 50 hours, so my training normally, if it was a one-to-one exchange rate, right, costs me about $640 mm. for two weeks. Um, that's more than my hotel bill. Right. Okay. Or my guest house bill. Um, this time around, if the yen, cha- yen exchange does not change, mm-hmm. okay, my training will cost me a little over $800. For the same amount of training. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I'm still going to make it happen. And the family's not going to be hurt because of it or whatever because there's lots of things that I can do. I mean, you know, people that have all these complaints and stuff, go on freaking eBay and sell something. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, go yeah. offer to cut people's grass, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, th- there's always things that you can do. It depends on how badly you want it. But, you know, I, I still hear these complaints, you know, I all these things as though they don't have the same kind of issues or concerns that I have to, that I have. My wife doesn't like the idea that I go, that I go away for two weeks. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're very deeply in love and we, we like spending time with each other and stuff like that. Um, but she understands it. Mm-hmm. She didn't understand when we first got together because she thought I was just jaunting off for a two week vacation. Right. But she gets it. Right. You know, she understands it. Um, so, that, that, you know, that part is handled and, you know, I bring back guilt gifts and, you know, have to maintain balance, right? <laughs> um, same thing with my kids and, uh, but we have the same problems. So I smile and I say I understand when they describe these things because I understand what they're dealing with. Right. I don't understand why they choose to take the victim side of the equation instead of the proactive side of the equation. Hmm. Because as you said, they live locally. It's easy for them to come to class. Mm-hmm. I have to drive four hours to get on an airplane to fly 13 to get on a train to travel for an hour and a half to two hours to get where I'm going mm-hmm. before I can even begin training. Right? Um, but in my heart of hearts, I really don't want to hear it. <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I'm as compassionate as I can be. And I express things like this to, you know, you guys and stuff because, you know, you're proactive. You have gone to Japan. You do what you can to get to class and things like that. Um, we all understand job obligations, and, and I get that kind of thing. But what I don't understand is someone who wants to be training in a warrior-based art 
where they're learning to be people of action, right? Mm-hmm. To change their lives, to to do these things. And at the first minor setback, at the first minor obstacle, they default to telling me all the reasons they can't instead of finding ways that they can. Mm-hmm. You can't want it that badly if the first speed bump stops you. It can't be that important. Mm-hmm. It can't. Actions speak much louder than words. As a matter of fact, there's an old saying that says, what, you're, um, what you do speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying. Mm. Okay. So... I understand. People send me these things and they, you know, they bear their souls and all this kind of stuff. And you, you tell me you've read my articles. You tell me you've read my, you know, you, you've got the lessons, the videos, you listen to Kuden and all that kind of stuff. And you're still going to contact me asking me for free stuff because you're broke and you can't afford it. So I'm supposed to give this away to everybody while spending four grand to go to Japan to get it so I can give it to you, not you specifically, but mm-hmm. that I can give it away yeah. because this person has a promise that they'll be my prodigal son. When I would bet that if I seized their computer, I would find a hard drive full of videos and training material and all that kind of stuff that they're not even doing anything with. Mm-hmm. I'll be damned if I'm going to give them something extra. And you know as well as I do that I've got... Dozens of free videos. I've got hundreds of free articles. There's free reports and ebooks that I generate that go out in the uh, automatic email system and stuff mm-hmm. like that that I'm constantly giving free stuff away. But that's not good enough. You want everything I have for nothing. When I have other students, you know, giving me hundreds or thousands of dollars for the same mm-hmm. material. How the hell is that fair to the people that are working and and doing what they need to do? And I don't want to hear anything about being poor or living in an area where you can't or whatever because I came from a poor family and my parents couldn't send me to college. They, mm. So everything that I am is from blood, sweat, and tears. Mm-hmm. And it's because I wanted it so badly that having it and getting it was much more important than not. It's just that rare opening of the heart that you wanted. Yeah. So, um, in a different time and in a different world, I I just said this last week, Hmm. how I wish that we lived in a feudal society. Hmm. Where excuses were equivalent to having to face the sword. Being disrespectful, manipulative, that kind of thing. Being a burden on society was punishable by death. Hmm. How different would people be if they were held mortally accountable for their actions? And I'm just as compassionate as the next guy. I donate to lots of causes and I help lots of people and I donate my time and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um, because I understand that some people need help to get to the next stage. But I can only help in a given way, short of doing it for them. And that's not in my nature. As a matter of fact, in my Buddhist training, 
there's these protective deities you're often assigned one or whatever mm. right and um without going into the to the name or whatever mine is actually seen on the Taizokai mandala it's one of the only ones in the same hall twice it just looks different right mm. and it's the destroyer of evils and, and poisons in the three realms mm. okay um basically it's the it's the wrathful image of what you need to see when nice doesn't work. So if we lived in a different place in a different time, um, I would use a different speech. Mm. I'm tactful and nice and professional as much as possible. But I also am not beyond cutting students loose because they're disrespectful or because... They are just not getting it. Mm. Okay, I'm not saying that I don't accept them for who they are, but accepting somebody for who they are doesn't mean I have to choose to hang out with them. Does that make sense? Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Anyway, um, powerful tenth episode of Kuden. <laughs> lots of good stuff here, and lots more. Uh, we stopped, always, we stop joking in that. Yeah, we'll get serious for a minute. Uh, Got to watch out for that. Lots more of this can be found online, warrior-concepts-online.com. And, of course, questions for Shadoshi Miller directed to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. And, uh, you know, this is the 10th episode of Kudem, but I'm sure many more to come. So just keep looking for them, and we'll keep doing it. As long it. as you keep dragging me in here, kicking and screaming and shackling me to this wall i'll keep answering your question <laughs> i guess we better unshackle you now can you turn off that bright light it's really bothering my eyes <laughs> where were you training on the night of the 24th that's right where yeah. were you tomorrow night at six o'clock <laughs> all righty then thank you for listening to kuden the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news interviews techniques and history For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes, call 570-988-2228 or log on to www.warrior-concepts-online.com. That's 570-988-2228 or www.warrior-concepts-online.com dot warrior dash concepts dash online dot com